Did you ever hear somebody say, I don't know why we spend time talking about things in the Old Testament and following and getting acquainted with all those people and memorizing things when it really doesn't make much difference to us? Well, you wonder, because there's some things about this concerning the Old Testament that we need to pay attention to. And it's not there just with passing acquaintance. So I will speak to you about this morning about the whole Old Testament. We may be a little long in our lesson, but uh, we'll finish up the Old Testament and then we can work another lesson on the whole New Testament. Um, well, anyway, if I get bogged down in this somewhere, uh, Eddie will finish up for me, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> Let's just start with the first verse. How about that? It says as we open this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Old Testament, let me just kind of, the projection of what you're looking at. You have your sentence that defines where you're going when you start the Old Testament in this very first verse. In the beginning, God. You're going to start with an introduction to God. And not only are you going to start with an introduction to God, but as you work your way through this book, all the way through Genesis, God is going to be the most prominent theme word in all of the Old Testament. It's, um, it's significant that we come to this consideration and get acquainted. The word, the word God is a, an ordinary kind of word. It's not real special. It's not a unique name. It is the identity of a quality. And God, at this point, there's a call to recognize from the very beginning. In the beginning. Uh, we usually spend our time chasing rabbits around about beginning and where it doesn't make any difference what date you put on that. You start with God. In the beginning, God. That's the that's the beginning point for everything that exists. And you need to know in this. Let me let me take just a moment aside from this say as we're looking at this terminology and you read through if you set out with your Bible reading the Old Testament and with your marker every time you came across the word God you, you highlighted it you have any idea how many times you would highlight that word well uh, it's something over 3,000 times more like right at 4,000 times 
you cannot ignore the consideration that there's not any account, there's no stories, there's no dealing with a person that you don't introduce it with God. Just like you start this book, in the beginning God, you get three words, and in order to talk about the things that are at the beginning, you have to mention God. And everywhere you get to something, you're going to deal with that in the terms of God. And so this is an introduction, a long introduction, but it is the introduction to God in your writing all through this Old Testament account. Now this is an ordinary word. Uh, you'd, the word God might be applied to, uh, to all kinds of uh, idolatry and whatever. They use that ordinary word. Uh, the word El looks at simply anything considered as, as a God. That's our translation that we're, we're looking at from that. But as we, as we begin to work our way along, we, we read and there are some things that are put to it uh, to qualify about this. By the time we get to uh, some of the, we'll talk about uh, Almighty and so, Almighty God, still terms that are uh, simple, but nevertheless point us in the direction of how we view and see uh, God. Um, by Exodus, the third chapter, uh, the term is brought in to add to it, I am who I am. This is a, a rather strong thing. You almost, if it was a person, you'd say you kind of arch your back <laughs> and you say, let me tell you who I am. I am who I am. And the things that go through the building from Genesis on through, you are ready for him to say, I am who I am. We're going to go through all the creation and the, the following of the things, and especially that down at Egypt and the things that go on there and the crossing of the Red Sea and all of these things. And the introduction to every one of those events is that God initiates it. Just like you say here, in the beginning God created, each one of those is going to come with the uh, stipulation that it has to do with God. And so uh, here you have uh, the Almighty. But it, it's not long before that simple word, God, and, and, and even the Almighty uh, term that is used, you add uh, to this idea about God uh, that he is... Uh, that, that he is Lord. And this occurs early. And while that's also in our translation, that's a rather ordinary term, might be applied to rulers and to a lot of people that the word Lord would be applied. But you need to know something about this. We're working with the translation. And as it looks back, the word that occurs 
where Lord, you'll notice if you're real careful in looking at it, it's written differently. The word Lord is in all capital letters. Now that occurs to distinguish it and, and give you a different light on the word Lord. Uh, in, in getting to this, it was a word, as I understand it, that uh, occurred here that Jews didn't say and that they didn't write. So they wrote Lord, but they put it, they, or they wrote the, this word in an unexpressible thing. So it's not, you don't say it. It's, an, it's a, a, a label and a name that's given to Lord that you wouldn't even say. About the highest term that you do, above God, insofar as labels are concerned, Lord sets up in the very highest place. And you begin to see this all through, beginning in, in the second chapter, you begin to see most of these occasions in which you have Lord uh, coming up. Um, I think a little bit of, of several places that are introduced by the word uh, Lord, especially when you see them at uh, Moses coming in to Pharaoh. And he says to Pharaoh, the Lord said, let my people go. And you remember, of course, Pharaoh was the most powerful person of his day and brought up in all the arrogance that could have gone with that, that there's no questioning anything and he is top of the top. And so he says back, who is the Lord? And those terms come in to indicate this is the word we're talking about. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't. Nobody tells me what to do, Pharaoh was saying. And you, you use this term and you say, he's telling me let my people go. Who is that? Well... He's going to get an answer to that. Who am I to say this? And you start the plagues. All the water turns bad. You, you have the plagues that go through the land, and each time Pharaoh, there are such powerful plagues that even a Pharaoh can't do anything with them. He has no answer to these plagues. He can't get around them at all. This is a declaration of who God is. And it's a part of the theme we're looking at as we go through because in Genesis, when we start out, uh, in the beginning, God. We're getting an amplification of who God is. And I think we get along with this part of kind of keeping the term God and our idea of God on a level that needs to exalt more than little, and we're beginning uh, to get this as we go. And, and a part of this story that we're right there with is that finally, with the ending of the ten plagues, the people are going out and God points them, 
in the direction, but it's a direction there's not any place much to go. Bounded by the desert on one side, by the Red Sea on the other side, and pretty quickly, as Pharaoh had done every time, he changed his mind. And here comes the army after them. What do they do? God tends to it. Here a great demonstration for Israel to know the one who is directing them and God and they turn and follow Moses as he's directed and as they touch the Red Sea, the sea opens up and there's a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other side. And these millions of people pass through it and all the while the army cannot follow them. God in, takes care of them. Israel doesn't have to fight them. God will fight them for them. And they march all the way through without a problem, one, of going through. Can you imagine what kind of an idea now that they get when they say, who is the Lord? If you... You don't have to explain the Lord to the people who were there who experienced the power of the Lord simply to call upon the Red Sea to divide. It's just the beginning of an experience. And this story that starts through here in Genesis continues to carry. These people go out of a land even when it was hard they had food to eat into a desert where there was no food for the great multitude of the people that went out of Egypt. But God feeds them. The food they have lasts. They never go hungry a day in the desert because God is taking care of them. They were a helpless sort of people as they came close to the country or the people that were inhabiting an area. You would think they are not, they don't have an army. I'm sure they didn't have any real equipment to fight if they decided to fight. But God takes care of them all the way around. You read that story and again and again, these helpless people, God takes care of. And the term Lord is being uh, amplified uh, in, in all of, of this. I, I guess there's hardly a greater demonstration in the crossing of the Red Sea and then when they finish their 40 years in the wilderness and they get there and they come to another uh, spot where they have trouble going ahead and that's the crossing into the land of Canaan. And the rivers at flood stage, far out. And they're instructed by God to cross. And when they bring the Ark of the Covenant down and the feet of the priest touch the water, can you imagine what impact it had upon them that here, this flood stage river, and they touch that and open, it goes again. And they leave the desert and they go into the land of Canaan. 
they're getting a real good instruction about who the Lord is. Pharaoh's voice must be ringing in their ears. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, I'll tell you they didn't get a real good lesson out of it because however they may have been impressed by the incident, they continued to be a people who did not very thoroughly and readily do what the Lord said. We'll look and see a good many of those things, but quickly into the land. We have another thing that goes with this that is significant. Not only the great power that might be manifest in things like this, but they come and the first place they need to deal with is Jericho. And they come to Jericho and it's a walled city. Now they don't have any equipment to deal with a walled city and all the things is normally you would expect an army to deal with. But God gives them instructions about what to do. They send out some people and they march around the city one time quiet. Now the normal thing was to make lots of noise to brag as they passed around a city and show off all their armament. But they march quietly around and they go back. And then the next round, they march out and around and they go back. And this goes on and on until finally there's a day on the seventh that they will come out and they'll march around, and when they've marched all the way around, these quiet people will shout. Just the shout of a voice from them, and the walls fall down. You think that enhanced their understanding of who God is? You're going to go into this land, and an old, old promise all the way back to Abraham that I will give you a land. Uh, surely, as they came to Egypt, they didn't find anything that looked like giving them a land. As they've been in the desert, it didn't look like a land to give them if they want even. But all of a sudden, from the first stage, is this idea of God. They're not going to take it away from everybody. God is going to give it to them. I guess I, I, this is full. I, I, I'll, I'll not go through all the examples here. Uh, we did want to have a little time. You'll get hungry beforehand. But there's a, another special indication that, that I can't help getting away from when you get way on down and you have Jonah. And uh, Jonah's told, you go and cry out against the city of Nineveh. Oh, and, and what he cries out about is that God is going to uh, give them in defeat. Jonah doesn't like that. He doesn't want to go do that. So instead of going toward Nineveh, what he does is go running the opposite direction. 
and he runs until he gets to where he can't run anymore. There's a sea. Find a place to get on a boat. Go on a sea. But what happens? You know the story. He, God interferes with the, his running away. And finally, even Jonah says, you'll get through with your trouble, just throw me over. And he does. And it says, God created a great fish and swallowed Jonah. Now, that, that's on one side of kind of a peninsula, and the great fish then goes all the way around and spits Jonah out on the shores of where he should have been to start with. The Lord, whatever his power, if he can create all of the things over here, if he can create whatever was a part of that things from Genesis 1, he can turn up with one big fish and he can tell the fish where to go and what to do. Don't you remember? We run, run the story and we think it's all about Jonah. It's all about the fish. We get to where we're looking at those that are on the, the groundwork and we forget this is not about them. The record is not kept so that you'll know who Jonah was and who any of these people are that are involved. The record is kept so you'll know who God is. And it should be that every Jew looking over his shoulder is drilled in the idea of where their people were. And he should have known without even thinking about it who God is. Back in that was also Noah. And their history goes back to the handful of people who rode the ark and came off of it as the only one spared. And that God who could, could call for the entire earth to be covered with water as it once was before he set it in order as he wanted it. This is God. <sighs> He'd say to Abraham that you get out of your country, you leave this and you go to a country, I'll show you and I'll give it to you. Here's promises made to Abraham and then the thread goes all along in fulfilling every one of those promises. This is their history. Their ancestors, like we'd look back to George Washington, they could not forget about the one that was behind them. The Old Testament, a fragment of the things that we begin to look at here and uh, come to, we, we need to know when they began, let me look another way, when they began to preach the things that the apostles preached, they didn't have to say to the people that the apostles initially preached to. They didn't have to say, let me tell you about God. 
Now, I admit, some of them were stupid and ignored what they knew about God. Some of them had come to be such skeptics that they ignored everything. But they started with another point that was after the fact of God is the Lord. He is Lord with that unspeakable terminology. Lord Almighty. And if you don't start with that, the rest of it doesn't make any difference. Have you looked around, jump aways, that we get sometimes and we get some people who have a kinky thing about religiously and we begin to argue with them and we can argue with them and defeat them in every argument and the debates they don't handle at all but the fact is we're dealing with a part that they haven't really gotten down solidly and that is who the Lord is and how the Lord tends to things. If you don't start with that, well, you'd have an occasion when you leave Jews who should know better, but most times don't act like it, to when Paul and his cohorts go. And they go to a place where the only God the people have any idea about is some statue or idol of some sort. And what do they begin to preach about? When Paul is at Athens, what's he going to preach about? He's not going to talk to them about baptism. He's not going to argue about the nature of the church. They're not ready for any of that. He's going to have to tend to the thing that they need to know in one way or the other who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And until we get that in place, and the fact is, there are many people who've recited the words at a conversion and have been immersed in water and sit in the pews and sing the eloquent songs who have not learned who God is. And it'll be a sad thing for us if we meet God, the Almighty Lord, having not had an understanding of who He is, enough to obey Him. In all of this Old Testament, we do not learn anything about who the members of the Godhead is. One term simply includes them all. The New Testament will open looking at a different view. And somewhere along the way here, we'll get back to looking at that. But as you're reading this part, I would like for you to think of, of these things and look at them. It says of, of God, uh, in the beginning, he created. 
the heavens and the earth. Creation, we don't even we don't even know how you would go about creating the smallest thing. But you identify God by the fact that he did not create a molecule that is to say make something of nothing. There wasn't anything and God made what? Not a little thing. He made the whole universe. God said. Then you begin. If you were in this same consideration and began to look at all the things that had to do with God and you were marking again and you marked the places and God said. The first thing you would observe is that God said is connected with with the uh, with things being as they are. He'll say uh, at the first one, and God said, "Let there be light." There was no light, darkness everywhere, and God said, "Let there be light." And what? And there was light. And you go right through that first section, everything God simply arranged the entire universe as it needed to be and as it pleased him by simply saying, this is what I want. If we could get a handle on that, if we can open our mind large enough to imagine that, it, well, we can't. It's unimaginable that that could be the place, but that's the God that we're talking about uh, over here. Uh, and another part you learn all through this is that God said, and the first thing is that it was just like God wanted it to be, and the other times that you mark and God said, it was an, an, a very strong statement of his demand for obedience. God said, do this. Well, you'd find out when the people just ignored God or stood up against God, they'd suffer the consequence. That's God in his place. And, and those are things that you start with already in place when you get to the New Testament and you begin to deal with the things that have to do with it's assumed that you've passed through this because those Jews that were a part of the first people to be offered salvation under the terms were the ones that were there. Who is the Lord? The Old Testament is the ongoing answer to clearly, completely settle in the minds of those who will look at it and listen to it and put in their mind to imagine these things that all through the Old Testament are set out. We don't need, if we don't remember the name of Noah or the name of Abraham or the name of Jonah, it doesn't make much difference. But I'll tell you what, if we don't remember the nature and the name and the power of Almighty God, it will make an awful lot of a difference. 
The difference will be in terms of eternity. Whether you spend eternity with God and all the angels and all the righteous or in hell with all the rebellious. Think about that.